whether you have limitless in-state blue chip prospects to recruit from, whether you have a stacked roster full of NFL players at quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, defensive end, or any other position, or whether you have a phenomenal staff that is amongst the best of the best, your program will not succeed consistently without an elite, top-tier CEO and game manager, the likes of Nick Saban, the greatest of all-time head coach. Today, what I am going to be doing is running through my list of great and elite managers, CEOs, head coaches. College football head coaches are all of those things in one. They have to manage the organization, they have to manage their staff, they have to recruit, and they have to coach on game day. I'm going to be going through who I think are the 10 best college football head coaches and spending a few minutes on each one. We're going to be starting from number 10, finishing the video with number one. So sit back, relax, grab a drink, put in your headphones, do whatever you need to do to watch this video through in its entirety. Make sure to comment your list of your top 10 head coaches down in the comment section below. Without further ado, let's start off at number 10 with Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, point blank, proved me wrong. I did not think he was going to succeed at LSU, at least in year one. Josh Pate has been open and honest, saying that many people in college football will claim that they knew from the beginning that Kelly was going to work at LSU, but if you were to pull up all the screenshots and all the old tweets, you would see that many people mocked his hiring. I am not going to hide anything and say that he just flat out proved me wrong. LSU went 10-4, and Brian Kelly won two top 10 games against Ole Miss and Alabama, and won the SEC West. And while he isn't recruiting yet at the level of Ed Orgeron, he has something that Ed Orgeron doesn't have, and I guarantee you wouldn't have used as much, the transfer portal. And he is working that thing phenomenally. Kelly, in Division I FBS, has a career record of 155-65. and 65. And that's probably not even counting some of the vacated wins and losses that he had like the 2012 and 2013 season, where he finished in the top 25 both years and in 2012 made it to the BCS National Championship game. But don't worry, I at least included the records of the bowl games, since those were very important. But all in all, a 155-65 and 65 career record. I also included even the vacated wins and losses against top 10 teams. So... Brian Kelly, 6-19 versus top 10 teams, has a winning record versus the top 25, though, with a 35-31 and 31 record. Most of those games against top 25 teams, obviously, coming against teams in the Big East when he was with Cincinnati, also coming against teams that Notre Dame faced, whether annually, semi-annually, or just once in a blue moon. Brian Kelly is definitely a top 10 head coach. I may not have said that entering last season, but he's won at Notre Dame. He's consistently won at Notre Dame. He has an 0-2 record in the playoffs, of course, but Jim Harbaugh has an 0-2 record in the playoffs. 
And there are some coaches on this list who haven't even made the college football playoff. So Brian Kelly is no stranger to the college football world for not having won a playoff game, especially when in those two playoff games he played against a 2020 Alabama team that was potentially the best team in college football history and a 2018 Clemson team that was one of only three teams in college football history to go 15-0. So good head coach, definitely top 10. There's an argument for him to be higher. I think that he's a great developer and recruiter. I wouldn't necessarily say elite there, but he recruited top 15 consistently and occasionally top 10 at Notre Dame. Um, He knows how to put a great staff together. He has developed excellent offensive linemen, tight ends, um, developed better at quarterback than a lot of others. Put, you know, Ian Book got drafted. Um, Brandon Wimbush didn't get drafted, but um, Deshaun Kisser got drafted, for example. At Defensively, Notre Dame's been solid basically every year. LSU, they were great defensively at times in year one with defensive coordinator Matt House. And speaking of the defense and the staff, he hired Marcus Freeman. He's the reason why Marcus Freeman right now is the head coach at Notre Dame. He's also consistent. He only had one losing season at Notre Dame in his entire tenure there, the 2016 year, and he made immediate changes, and right after that in 2017, he's back on track. I think some of his weaknesses are special teams performance. A lot of that has to do with last year. That was one of the worst special teams units in the college football world. It was ranked as the least efficient according to ESPN. He's not good in top 10 matchups. Then again, Notre Dame did have limited talent compared to LSU, but in the SEC, you're also going to be facing more top 10 teams, and your team, if you're not careful, will get more exhausted than if you had, let's say, a Notre Dame schedule. I also think given the fact that he's old school and he is older, this weakness is probably debatable, but I think adaptability could be a concern, and I think that could cap LSU's ceiling as a program potentially, but nonetheless, I expect him to be extremely competitive in the SEC. And he beat Nick Saban in year one, which he never did before. So we'll see where Brian Kelly goes. He could raise on this list. He could rise. Pardon me. At number nine, we have Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes and some of these other coaches, because they haven't been in the Division I FBS League as long as Brian Kelly has, and some have even had shorter tenures at their respective schools than Sonny Dykes has had, I'm going to spend shorter amounts of time on them. But Sonny Dykes is a curious case. 84-63 and is his career record, spending time with Louisiana Tech, California, SMU, and now TCU. And his record with TCU is 13-2. and Like Brian Kelly, this is, he just completed his first year at his respective school. 2-11 and record versus the top 10, which is just, ouch, you thought Brian Kelly was bad against top 10 teams. Let's look at Sonny Dykes. Except for, of course, your record doesn't always speak to what you are. For example, a 9-3 or 10-2 Michigan or Ohio State, because of their strength of schedule and strength of record, is probably a superior team to, let's say, an undefeated Tulane. I think we can all agree with that. In the same way, Sonny Dykes, when you coach at Louisiana Tech, California, and SMU for all but one year of your career, you have very little, if any, talent 
he gave SMU its only double-digit win season since the death penalty. He is a proven builder. He repairs busted programs. California, since Jeff Tedford left, busted program. SMU, busted, rather leveled, since the death penalty was given to them. And Louisiana Tech, well, it's Louisiana Tech, case in point. 11-23 and 23 against top 25 teams. He's 2-4 and four in bowl games, 1-1 one one in college football playoff matchups. He's one of the only coaches in this top 10 that has won a college football playoff game. The Verbo Fiesta Bowl win has earned Sonny Dykes a feather in his cap. That win is one of the biggest reasons why he is on this list, alongside of the fact that he had to win several other top 25 and top 10 matchups to achieve a 13-2 record with TCU in year one. Now, I have heard many of you say and type in the comments section below in other videos that you think Sonny Dykes is overrated and or that I am overrating Sonny Dykes myself. And there's a good possibility of that. If TCU does extremely poorly, like they have a losing record, or maybe they go 7-6, and six, all of these things are possible, he will fall down this list. I understand that TCU is losing quite a bit of production, but nonetheless, I think that they have enough talent and a great enough coaching staff to where they should still be competitive this coming season. I think that Dykes is an extremely innovative coach, He's a proven repairman of a head coach, and he's a great offensive mind. He institutes an air raid offense that uses tight ends, running backs. His teams can run the football. Offense has never been a problem under Coach Dykes. But what has been a problem is defensive play. You saw this last year with Joe Gillespie and how his scoring defense resided outside of the top 90. He coached at Cal, Dykes did, but... He was coaching at Cal during basically what was the dark age of the Pac-12. The Pac-12 before he came at Cal and after he was fired was better than the Pac-12 while Sony Dykes was the head coach of California. So with that, the fact that he took a group of five job after that and the game has changed and he's not really stuck with the Power 5 game, I think he's still unproven in the Power 5 and I think that's a weakness. He's also not proven against top 25 competition. The only time he succeeded against top 25 competition really is this season, and that could be a one-off. So we'll have to see how he does this year and beyond, but as of now, I do think he is a top 10 head football coach. Phenomenal innovator and builder. At number eight, we have Kalen DeBoer, Washington's head coach, also another Another head coach who will be entering his second year with their current program. That's three in a row. Brian Kelly with LSU, Sonny Dykes with TCU, and Kalen DeBoer with Washington. DeBoer has only coached as a head coach in the Division I FBS level for three years. Fresno State in 2020 and 2021 and Washington in 2022. Like with Brian Kelly and any other head coach, I'm not including FCS or lower head coach career records. I'm not doing it. Just so that everyone can have, can be on an equal playing field and everyone can be judged more equally as a head coach. So in that case, you look at Kalen DeBoer and as a head coach, his career is pretty young. 23-8 and record as a 
with his career, an 11-2 record with Washington. No college football playoff appearances, no conference titles or national titles. He did have plenty at the lower levels of college football, and I think that helps to boost his resume as a winner. And he's consistently, whether it's at the lower levels or Fresno State or Washington or Indiana, he is a proven builder, I think. He does so much more with less. Developed Michael Penix into a great quarterback in 2019. In 2022, helped lay the foundation for Indiana's top 15 finish in 2020. He's 1-0 right now against top 10 teams, 5-1 versus top 25 teams. And his quarterbacks, whether it's Jake Hayner, Michael Penix, those two so far have been good at worst. And at times, they've lit up the college football universe with their play. He's also a great play caller. Him and Ryan Grubb do manage Washington's offense. And he was also a great play caller when he was with Tom Allen at Indiana, leading them to an 8-5 and five season. And again, setting the foundation for a season where they beat Michigan for the first time in several decades in the 2020 COVID season. The weaknesses for DeBoer are as follows. I think he's unproven in the Power Five, much like Sonny Dykes. Recruiting-wise, he is not listed as an A-list recruiter, not even close. Whether it's at Washington or Indiana, so on and so forth, he's totally a developer. And defensive play? Last year, Washington was one of the worst teams in the country in points allowed per game, as was most of the Pac-12 when it came to scoring defense. But nonetheless... If Washington is going to reach the college football playoff this year, and I am predicting them to do so, they have to improve defensively. And I think especially at secondary, they will. But also a sneak preview, all of the teams that are reaching the college football playoff, in my preseason opinion and predictions, all of the head coaches of those respective programs are in this top 10. DeBoer is ranked the lowest. So if you've already watched my top 25 videos, Big Ten, SEC, and Pac-12 prediction videos, you know, at least to a certain degree, who the remainder of the top 10 head coaches are. But if you haven't, I encourage you to watch those videos, and you can do so by subscribing to my channel, clicking the notification bell, and clicking some of the links down in the video description to see my top 25 predictions video. You can also find my Big Ten Predictions video on the front page of my channel, and you can scroll down just a few scrolls and find my Pac-12 and SEC Predictions video as well. DeBoer is a head coach that I'm very high on. He's probably the most unproven overall on this list, especially when it comes to play in the FBS, but I think he is a rising star. And if Washington does well this year, and I think they're going to be one of the four best teams in college football, other teams and other programs are going to be calling for his name for sure and depending on whether Washington moves to the Big Ten stays in the Pac-12 or maybe the Pac-12 just breaks completely it will be interesting to see how Washington manages this whole situation with conference realignment and if that affects Kalen DeBoer staying at Washington or leaving Washington's a great program it's a niche school in a niche area and they do have good in-state talent. Up next, we have number seven, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle 
is in his first year. Unlike the previous three, he's not entering his second year with a respective program, but rather this will be his first year as head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Unproven in the Power Five, much like many of the previous head coaches, and he's also coaching in year one, which I think can be a weakness. It can also be a strength. If he goes out, does what Sonny Dykes did in year one, he'll have, especially at a place like Wisconsin, which has a higher profile, better reputation, more recognizable brand than TCU, also while being in a superior conference like the Big Ten compared to the Big 12, that could help Wisconsin just take off and achieve Big Ten championships and maybe even college football playoff appearances, something that the Badgers have rarely had before, and they've never appeared in any kind of national championship setting. Can Luke Fickle do that in year one? I am doubtful, but unlike many other people, I do think that they do have a shot, a legitimate one, to reach the college football playoff and potentially win the Big Ten. Luke Fickle has two conference championships on his resume. He's 500 in bowl games. He's appeared in the college football playoff once with Cincinnati, which outside of Ohio State when he was the interim head coach in 2011, that's the only school he's coached at. A 63-25 career record is impressive. He is 1-5 versus top 10 teams, but being at Cincinnati with low talent and not playing too many top, type t- top 10 teams, I'm not going to fault him for that. He's also 8-14 versus the top 25, and those two conference championships were achieved in 2020 and 2021 when Cincinnati only had one loss in both 2020 and and 2021. They went 13 and 1 in 2021 and finished ranked number 4. In 2020, I think they were 8 and 1, 9 and 1 maybe and they finished ranked inside of the top 10. They had an undefeated regular season both of those years and won their conference championship game. I think Luke Fickle is a defensive mind. I think he's a tough guy. I think his Wisconsin teams are going to be tough. Overall, he's an elite developer. The amount of draft picks that Cincinnati had in his tenure there were insane. They were top four in draft picks after the 2021 season. And Sauce Gardner is currently one of the best NFL corners. His cornerbacks coach is now at Ohio State. But nonetheless, Luke Fickle built that staff. And I also think that he is a coach who will always have a solid staff at worst and an elite staff at best. He currently has Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator, Mike Tressel as his defensive coordinator. Those are two of some of the best in the business in their respective coordinator positions, and they're on Wisconsin staff. Some other strengths are also the fact that Luke Fickle, if you can win at Cincinnati, bring them to a college football playoff game, and you compete with Alabama, you're a proven builder. I mean, what he did with Cincinnati with the little talent and recruiting and care for football that that program has, was awesome. And he is going to do greater things at Wisconsin because Wisconsin has superior resources. Wisconsin cares more about football. They're more invested in the sport. And I think it's going to, I just think it's going to work very well. Offensive play, I think, could be a weakness. And I say this because at Cincinnati, The team had a reputation of being a defensive powerhouse, but mediocre and at best good on offense. This season, that could all change with Phil Longo, but it could also end disastrously as Wisconsin's identity is radically changing. So 
like with many of these other head coaches on this list, except for some of the ones at the tippy top, things could change quickly. Luke Fickle could easily enter the top five next year, or he could slide down a few spots. But more likely than not, more likely than Sonny Dykes, Kalen DeBoer, Brian Kelly, and even some coaches ahead of him, I think he's going to stay relatively stable entering next season. So that's Luke Fickle at number seven. I am extremely high on him, and I think many would agree with me here. At number six, we have Dabo Swinney. Dabo Swinney could be a little low, another head coach who could rise on this list rather quickly. He has eight conference championships, two national championships. He is one of only three coaches on this list to have won a national title at the Division I FBS level. So why do I have him outside of the top three? Why? He has a 161-39 and career record, and he's only coached at Clemson. 19-12 and versus the top 10, 39 and 24 versus the top 25, 11 and 8 in bowl games, 6 and 4 in college football playoff matchups. Most importantly, most importantly, 2 and 2 versus Nick Saban, who you already know I have in the top 2 of this list. You already know that. 2 and 2 versus Nick Saban. So why do I have him outside of the top 5? Well, one is because I tend to take into account more recent success because things can change rather quickly. I like to focus on the past two years, and you could go three, four, five, definitely could do that, and I have respect for his past career record. If I only took the past two years into account and never cared about anything else, Swinney may not even be on the top ten of this list, because Clemson has underperformed in the nation's worst conference for two years in a row, and they've underperformed quite poorly. The offense was poverty in 2021. It was okay in 2022, but to balance that out, the defense regressed quite a bit. 2020, they had Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, but losing to Notre Dame and getting blown up by Ohio State, that team was potentially where the decline began. was in 2020 for Clemson. They just had a lot of good talent and a good system put in place to help them succeed for at least that year. And then DJ Uyunglele took over. He's now at Oregon State, where I think he will be better off. And the ship just took a nosedive. Now, the nosedive was 10-3. and three. They still finished ranked. And in 2022, they won their conference. The ACC finished 11-3. and three. But they went 2-3 and three in non-conference games, including the bowl game, losing to South Carolina, Notre Dame, and getting blown out by Tennessee. They also got blown out by Notre Dame. There's an argument that the ACC was worse than the American in 2021, for crying out loud. After all, Cincinnati did reach the college football playoff. So the ACC, Clemson's conference, and it still is Clemson's conference until proven otherwise, has been at best the fifth best conference over the past two maybe three seasons, but I'd say two because Notre Dame was also good in 2020. And potentially, one of those years over the past two, they've been outside of the top five. And potentially the American in one of those years being more representative of a Power Five conference. So I just think even with his great record, there's no doubt that Swinney's a top 10 head coach. I still believe that. I think the Garrett-Riley hire proved that Swinney, as a head coach, is not completely stiff 
I know that he hasn't used the transfer portal. He is still very stubborn, and the offensive line play has not been good. Those are some obvious weaknesses. But he fired Brandon Streeter after year one, and he brought in Garrett Riley. And for me, and I think for Clemson fans, that was a big sigh of relief. Swinney could, If Swinney just reaches the college football playoff and plays competitively in the semifinal, even if they lose, he'll immediately rise back on this list just because of his past and because he's proven that he's returned to that level of success that you saw from 2015 to 2019-2020. But he has fallen off a bit. Some of his strengths, despite DJ's performance last season, would be he's top-notch at quarterback, whether it's Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence. There's no doubt that he knows how to recruit and develop there. Kate Klubnick's coming in this season, a five-star at the position. He's an elite recruiter and developer, and his staff, a lot of them were promoted from within throughout the seasons. He developed those coaches into being great coordinators and great position coaches. So he himself, not to the degree that Nick Saban does, but he has somewhat of a his own rehab program going on in Clemson and in Death Valley. So Dabo Swinney, massive argument for him to be much higher on the list, but I got to see him rectify with some of the errors and confront some of the errors that have occurred over the past two seasons. So these next few head coaches, while they don't necessarily have national championships or as many conference championships, I think right now, at this very moment, they're better head coaches than Dabo Swinney is. And one of those coaches, I think, might have put Clemson in this place to begin with, and that's Ryan Day with Ohio State. I am anticipating that many of you believe that my selection of Day ahead of Dabo Swinney is heresy. But I think it is the right thing to do. Every year that Ryan Day has been at Ohio State, since 2019 to be precise, he has fielded a better team every season than Dabo Swinney has. And that says a lot about Ryan Day as a head coach. Same with his 45-6 and career record with Ohio State, his 6-5 and record versus top 10 teams, and his 16-6 and record versus top 25 teams. His record in bowl games is 2-3, and three, but all but one of those bowl games is a college football playoff appearance, where he is 1-3. It's not the most impressive in the world, but we're not shooting for the most impressive in the world. We're not in the top two yet. That is a great record. It's an elite record. Winning a playoff game, if you consistently are playing at a competitive level in the playoffs and you're competing for your conference, and you're in one of the two best conferences in the land, that's the mark of an elite head coach. And I think Ryan Day is a near-elite, to-elite head coach. He's a phenomenal recruiter. He's developed NFL prospects year after year. He's young, much like Lincoln Riley. He has time to adapt, to change some of his philosophies. He's not going to be set in his ways. And that's not the case for every young head coach. It's just more likely because the older you get, the more stuck in your ways you can sometimes find yourself to be. But Ryan Day is adaptable. He's extremely adaptable. Moving away from Kerry Coombs after Coombs was the defensive coordinator in 2020 and 2021, bringing in Jim Knowles, retaining Larry Johnson, but firing Greg Stradwara, the longtime offensive line coach, and bringing in Justin Fry. Hiring Tim Walton and hiring Perry Alano at secondary to help 
coach what should be one of the better secondaries in the Big Ten in college football this season after having a disastrous and injury-plagued unit last year, and he's a great play caller. I know that he got flack against Michigan two years in a row for, for play calling, but the reality is, looking at the Georgia game and looking at every game outside of Michigan, this guy's got it. I mean, he could have a national title right now if you just change one play. One play. That's a term that's overused far too much, but in the case of Georgia versus Ohio State in that Peach Bowl matchup, that was the case. Noah Ruggles makes the field goal. Ryan Day is a national title. Um, Stetson Bennett, one of his interceptions isn't dropped. He threw what should have been probably an additional interception or two that Ohio State just dropped. That happens. Ohio State wins it all. Jack Podlesny, who was already sketchy that night, misses another field goal. Ohio State wins it all. And then my placement of day ahead of Dabo Swinney would not even be a debate currently. That wouldn't be a debate, even with one less national title and six less conference championships, the recent success, the adaptability, the 31-0 record versus teams not named Michigan in the Big Ten, that would speak for itself. The perception of day is not just because of the Michigan game, but also because of that Peach Bowl game, really, I think, skews the the perception, pardon me, against him. But I think that he's one of the better head coaches in the land, and if they go 9-3 and three next year, which I don't think is even possible, but if they do, you won't hear me defend him, but as of now, with his worst regular season being 10-2, and two, and with him nearly taking his team to a 13-1 and one record in a national championship last year, they would not have lost to TCU after TCU used the entire mulligan and the entire pot of luck and skill and exhausted themselves to beat Michigan. They would not have beaten Ohio State. If that all happened, he would be viewed differently. And I'm going to defend him, not just because of that, but also because he's won the conference two times, and he's competed for the conference, the Big Ten, every year that he has been there. But he's not the best head coach in the Big Ten. His defensive play is questionable. He's not had a great defense with the exception of his first year at Ohio State. And Ohio State, their game management is incomplete. They struggle to play a complete four-quarter game of football. And Michigan, by themselves, that's a big weakness and a big problem for Ohio State if they want to win it all, but more importantly, if they want to beat their arch rival and win the Big Ten. At number four, we have Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is the best head coach in the Big Ten, hands down. A 103 career record when it comes to wins. 46 career losses. He has a 74-25 and record with Michigan, nearly winning three out of every four games that he coaches in with the Wolverines. An 8-15 and record versus top 10 teams and a 20-25 and record versus top 25 teams. His bowl record is abysmal. That's the worst part about Jim Harbaugh as a head coach. It's the reason why he isn't inside of the top three. Nonetheless, he's won the Big Ten for the past two seasons, for two years in a row, his team is currently on a 25 and three. You heard that right, a 25 and three record, and it's awesome. It's phenomenal, and I say those things partially because I'm a Michigan fan, but also what what the turnaround, what the turnaround that Jim Harbaugh has had with Michigan. He's an elite developer. I'm not going to say elite recruiter. 
Don't worry. But he is an elite developer. Michigan consistently puts guys in the NFL, consistently has guys drafted in the first, second, third round, and more than that. Michigan, for the past two years, has had one of the best staffs in the country, hands down. His eccentricity, much like Brian Kelly, I was going to say this earlier, but I didn't want to give Jim Harbaugh's placement away. Both of those head coaches are hated by millions. Kelly and Jim Harbaugh are vehemently disliked, and I think it plays to their advantage. And I think it doesn't just get into opposing fan bases' heads, but I think sometimes it works its way into opposing locker rooms and into opposing head coaches' brains. I think that it plays to his advantage. It gets him attention. It can also be a weakness, because then when he loses, much like Brian Kelly, you know, the whole world is going to be looking at them and criticize them. And rightfully so. Harbaugh had no business losing to TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. That was the epitome of Jim Harbaugh's postseason preparation, was that TCU game. It was disgusting. But I'm not going to rant about that all day. I already did that after the game, and I was just demoralized. But Michigan also has another strength because of Jim Harbaugh. Many say it's a weakness, but I think Smash Mouth football is the identity of this team, and I think it's a strength, in my opinion. Now, Michigan's offensive line, more so than their talent level, I think due to their postseason preparation, rather, has not performed at a high level. I think that if Michigan had better postseason preparation, and I'm not a genius on this, very far from it, so I don't know how they'd have better postseason preparation, but however they can improve that, if they did, I think that it would be a strength. I think the problem for Michigan is less so their scheme, more so their preparation and mindset when it comes to postseason games. Because if it was just big games where their scheme fails... They wouldn't crush Penn State. They wouldn't crush Ohio State. They wouldn't have crushed Notre Dame in 2019. And they wouldn't have... Look, they scored 45 points on TCU. And if Corum was healthy, they probably would have ran for more yards because Corum has that ability to fall forward. And that was even with poor postseason planning. That game was more so the defense rather than the offense outside of McCarthy's two pick sixes as to why the Wolverines lost to TCU. So I think if the postseason play improves, which I definitely think is a weakness of Jim Harbaugh's, the smash mouth football will change the perception about running the football. And I think it's a I just think it's a big strength for Michigan. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I think that the Wolverines and their style of football they should keep it. They just need to recruit better, and they need to find a way to win in the postseason. But Jim Harbaugh has found a way to beat the best in the best in Ohio State. He is on the second-best run when it comes to wins and losses, even better than Alabama over the past two seasons. So that's why I have him in my top four of head coaches. At number three, we have Kyle Whittingham. Now, this is probably shocking all of you. Nope, Lincoln Riley is not on this list. And I mentioned his name earlier, but he isn't on this list. I think Kyle Whittingham, and I'm very high on Kalen DeBoer. I know there's probably a stronger argument logically for Lincoln Riley to be on this list instead of Kalen DeBoer, but I think Lincoln Riley, until he proves he can move away from Alex Grinch, and until he proves that he can play just competitively 
in games against big time opponents, he he's not going to be in this list. I'm sorry. He can prove me wrong this year, though, because I think USC is going to miss the Pac-12 championship game. So if they reach the playoff and play competitively, he'll prove me wrong. It's also due to the fact that Lincoln Riley, for the past two seasons, has not reached the playoff. In 2021, they did not even come close. And in 2022, they lost to Lane and they got destroyed by Utah. But Utah destroying them is a big part of the reason why I have Kyle Whittingham ahead of the likes of Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day. Kyle Whittingham is what I thought Paul Christ was, except he's better because he can actually win his conference. And he has beaten high-profile opponents. He's actually broken two-by-fours over high-profile opponents. USC last year, he did it against Alabama in 2008. A 12-1 Alabama team came to the Sugar Bowl. Home field advantage, practically highly rated, and Utah just annihilated them. That was a Kyle Whittingham team. He's highly tenured. He's been with the program for closer to two decades than not. He has a 154-74 career record, all with the Utah Utes. He is 7-10 and against top 10 teams, 20-30 and versus top 25 teams, 11-5 and in bowl games. It's a pretty impressive postseason record. He has not reached the college football playoff yet, and I don't know if he ever will, but he does more with less, and that's my biggest argument for having him up here. Very innovative. Andy Ludwig and Morgan Scaley, the coordinators up there in Utah, are phenomenal. He's an elite developer. Utah just puts, whether it's linebackers running backs, or even a quarterback like Tyler Huntley, who found his way from being an undrafted free agent to being on the Ravens and getting playing time there. They develop players, and defensively, they've always been one of the best teams in the conference. They're physical, they have good offensive line play, and they have a beast, a collection of beasts at running back in Micah Bernard and, and um, Jaquindon Jackson. Tavion Thomas is off to the NFL. Weaknesses for Kyle Whittingham, I would say, are his seemingly low team ceiling. They play to competition, and he hasn't reached the college football playoff yet. His past two seasons, they've won the Pac-12 back-to-back, but they've went 10-4 and in both of those seasons, and they've lost a non-conference game in the regular season both of those years. BYU arrival in 2021, and in 2022 it was the opener against Florida. They've lost two teams like Oregon State. They've lost to Oregon. They've beaten USC both both years, actually. So they're 3-0 against USC over the past two seasons, which is impressive, especially with Lincoln Riley being the head coach of the Trojans in two of those games. And they've also lost the Rose Bowl for two years in a row to Ohio State in 2021, one of the most entertaining games I've ever watched. And to Penn State last year, which was far less entertaining because Rising got injured, and Penn State's boom-or-bust style of play went into full boom mode, as they had some of the longest plays, I think, in Rose Bowl history, with touchdown passes to Keandre Lambert-Smith and a long Nicholas Singleton run. Recruiting, too, for Utah, they've never recruited at a high level. They recruit at a okay to above-average level, but developmental success is where Utah is and what Utah's identity is. 
not recruiting success. I think Kyle Whittingham is a top three head coach. It's more likely than not that he will fall down this list, though, not rise. Up next, number two, Kirby Smart. And from number three to number two is a massive, there's a, there's a chasm separating those two places. Kirby Smart, 81-15 and 15 career record with the Georgia Bulldogs, 17-7 and 7 versus top 10 teams, 30-12 and 12 versus top 25 teams. Again, chasm. That is impressive. I think that might be a more impressive resume against top 10 and top 25 teams than Dabo Swinney. I think he's a better head coach than Dabo Swinney. Shoot, I think he's a, a much, currently he's a much better head coach than Dabo Swinney is. He's embraced the portal in a limited role. He's embraced NIL more openly. He's a better recruiter. He finally beat Nick Saban, got over that hump in 2021 to win it all. He's won the SEC for two years in a row. Over the past two seasons, he has the best winning percentage going 29-1 and over the past two seasons. He won the conference in 2017 and in 2022, and he won the national championship in 2021 and 2022. He's an elite recruiter and developer, always builds a phenomenal staff. He's adaptable, as shown that his offenses to begin his head coaching career were mediocre, but hiring Todd Monken, adapting to a, a pro spread and being more willing to pass the ball really paid off, helped Georgia win their two national championships under Smart. And Smart is tough. He embodies toughness. His teams right now are what Alabama teams used to be five or more years ago, except they have a modern twist to it now with their passing game. Speaking of which, they brought in two great wide receivers through the portal and returned Brock Bowers. So this team is going to be great again, and I think they're going to reach the college football playoff again. I didn't mention this before, but Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh are the other two head coaches, along with Kirby Smart and Kalen DeBoer, that I think are going to coach in the college football playoff. If you've watched my channel, you know that I'm picking Michigan to go 15-0. You know that I'm picking Ohio State to go 12-2, losing to Michigan twice, once in Ann Arbor, once in the national championship game. I'm having Georgia lose to Ohio State in the semifinals. It'll be an awesome rematch but I have them winning the SEC and going 13-0 before that, and I have Washington going 12-2 and winning the Pac-12. But Kirby Smart, the way that Georgia reloads, recruits, they're going to win more national titles under Smart. I guarantee you that, and I cannot guarantee you that for any of the other head coaches on this list, even the head coach that I obviously have in first place. But that's not because I'm doubting Nick Saban who we might as well get to right now, it's not because I'm doubting him. It's because he's he's advancing in age. He's getting older. And you never know what happens the older you get. It's a sad reality of life, but it's the reality nonetheless. Despite saying that, the GOAT is still the GOAT. A 280-69-1 career record. A 189-27 record at Alabama. Nearly 50 wins against top 10 teams and over 100 wins against top 25 teams. Nearly 20 bowl wins, nearly 10 college football playoff wins, 11 conference championships, and 7 national championships. He's the GOAT. He is the greatest head coach of all time, regardless of where his career ends. If it ends now, if it ends in a few years, 
even if it ends with his teams going 10-3, and 9-4, and four, and he falls off before he retires, he will be the GOAT. He may not be the number one head coach every year he coaches for the rest of his tenure, but all time, he is the GOAT. And even though I'm, it's more comfortable in my mind just because Smart's younger, and I think Georgia has is the better program right now compared to Alabama— I'm more comfortable saying that Georgia is guaranteed to win a national championship in the future than I am for Alabama, but I think Alabama's likelihood of winning another title before Saban retires is extremely high. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think they'll miss the college football playoff for the second year in a row, but in 2024, when Jalen Milrow is more developed, when young players on defense are going to be in their sophomore years after having probably all-American, freshman All-American level years this year, like safety Caleb Downs, I think is an immediate breakout player, potentially immediate All-American player, and the offensive line, I think they'll get a new offensive line coach probably after this year who will be an upgrade. I think that Alabama and Nick Saban are still, I think Nick Saban's still on top. I think that he's still a better head coach than Kirby Smart. I just think the coordinator hires and the recruiting classes and some and some other things, despite still being great, Georgia was just a little better in, and that snowballed into Georgia being the better program and being the better team than Alabama for the past two seasons. I didn't spend as much time on Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, just because there's, in my mind, no debate that they're the top two, while every other position there is debate for. Like, I've seen lists where Dabo Swinney is number three. I probably have him the lowest ranked the lowest out of most if all top 10 or top 25 head coaching rankings some would have Jim Harbaugh at number three I doubt very many people would have Kyle Whittingham at three many would not even have Sonny Dykes Kalen DeBoer and some wouldn't even have Brian Kelly or Luke Fickle in the top 10 some would have James Franklin in the top 10 many would have Lincoln Riley in the top six so these two spots for Kirby Smart and Nick Saban you probably already knew entering the video those were going to be my top two head coaches. To not have them in the top two right now would be insane. Now, maybe in the next three or four seasons, they'll slip outside of the top two, or maybe Saban will be retired by then, but even I doubt that. These two are the top two head coaches for now, and probably for the rest of their tenure, if I'm being honest. So, thank you guys for watching this video this top 10 breakdown and who I think the top 10 head coaches of college football are entering this season. I'm going to do a list on top 10 quarterbacks, running backs, and I'm going to try and do multiple positions, potentially even coordinators, before preseason ends in August and college football begins in the fall. Make sure to subscribe, like this video, and hit the notification bell. Thank you all for watching, and I'll see you guys around. Bye-bye.